Hello and welcome to Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour. This is a basketball show, podcast, everything in between, and whatever you need it to be. This is episode 10. This is the last one I'm going to be able to do with my hands. Um, today is February uh, 22nd. It's a Thursday. You know, obviously, Thursday to the Friday episode. Um, hope you're all doing well. Doing pretty good myself. Uh, turns out I'm not really sick. I uh, just had a weird sore throat for a couple of days. So we're all hunky-dory over here. Um, yeah, it's 65, partly sunny where I'm at. And uh, yeah, I'll just reiterate. I hope you're all doing well. I uh, got a nice, nice episode for you guys today. Um, at least I'm I'm excited for it. Um, I think this might be the only episode. I could be completely lying about this. Just just starting off this episode hot with a bold face lie. But um, this might be like the only episode I've done so far where it's just going to be really one segment for the whole thing. Um, I've got some news to talk about at the top of the episode, as always, um, and a, a good bit of drama, honestly. Um, and then we're just going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, and I really like the uh, package I've sort of assembled on them. Uh, they have a really interesting situation going on, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a chill one. Uh, if we don't end up reaching the hour mark, like, you know, whatever, we'll just get out of here early, and uh, y'all can enjoy your Fridays, but... No, without any further uh, ado, let's just uh, let's just hop into it. Let's get into some hoops. So, the first thing I want to talk about is, and you might have seen this if you uh, exist perpetually uh, online, uh, as as myself, I do. Um, this JJ Reddick uh, drama, really. I mean, it would be kind of disingenuous to call it a JJ Reddick Doc Rivers drama because I don't believe he's specifically said anything yet. But this whole jj reddick drama that's been going on online and uh it's extended to like television um and and whatnot so if you don't know what it is uh let's just break it down for you um this all kind of started two days ago uh tuesday february uh 20th uh where jj reddick was on first take and he blasted um he he absolutely went off for like a minute on doc rivers um not saying anything i don't think uh particularly too flagrant even if you were to wholeheartedly disagree with his statement but basically he got on doc rivers ass for not really taking accountability uh, a lot of the times throughout his career um he's out, uh, not specifically for you know having a bad start to his tenure as the bucks head coach but as I just said, for the sort of extensive uh, documented history of him putting the blame on players and outside circumstances. And we know Doc Rivers um, has is in rare air. He is the only um, the only head coach to blow multiple, if not like three plus. Uh, I don't know what the caveat to that little fun statistic is, but he's the only coach to blow like two, three plus uh, three one leads, multiple different scenarios. He's been a coach for a very long time too. So this is spanning many, many superstars over many, many teams in multiple eras of the NBA. Um, and this dude's just been an absolute merchant of three, one, uh, failures, but, um, I don't know. I don't have like particularly strong opinions on doc rivers as a coach, but he blasted him out for that, whatever. Right. Um, so that kind of goes viral. And then the first, I guess, leg of the drama really was Pat Bev, who, as we know, got traded to the Bucks. Um, and so Doc Rivers is his head coach for the time being. And, uh, well, oh, actually, let me take it a step back and uh, give you the quote, really, that came from the specific, like, 50-second excerpt um, of J- uh, J.J. Reddick on 
first take when when this whole thing popped off. He said, the trend is always making excuses. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard, but it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. There's never accountability with that guy. All right, so, you know, some harsh words, but nothing like crazy, right? Nothing crazy. Um, and then Patrick Beverly's kind of just, you know, as, as Patrick Beverly does, cause he loves to farm for content that he can then use in his podcast, which, you know, if I was to say anything about that, the call would be coming from inside the house. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut on that one. But, uh, he is, you know, he, he's kind of no- notorious for that, but, uh, Patrick Beverly said, this man, doc actually saved your career, started you when no one else wanted to. And you go re- and you, and you retire, go on TV and say that. At JJ Reddick, right? So, oh, like things are getting a little, a little spicy. Things are heating up. Um, and JJ Reddick responded to Patrick Beverly. He said, "Pat, my guy, I had a four-year offer with player option for the same money to be a starter for a different team. Fuck out of here with that. Save my career. I'm really trying not to curse on on Hoops Hour, but JJ Reddick said it. Okay, guys, I didn't say it." And I will most likely swear throughout this episode anyway, but I'm trying. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to try to make this more, uh, more friendly. Um, so yeah, he was like, man, get out of here with that. I'm, I was fine. Right. Um, and also notably, he's not really like attacking what JJ Redick actually said. He's just going after JJ Redick. Then Austin Rivers, a former NBA player who, as we know, is Doc Rivers' son, um, he joined, um, first take. It might not have been first take. Um, I believe it was like maybe the next day or something like that, just later on in the day, even because that show, I, I don't even understand how the format of that thing works. Um, but Austin Rivers said in response and sort of defending his dad, he said, in terms of accountability, your best years in the NBA were when you played for him with the Clippers. It's just very ironic and kind of weird that you have this energy towards him again, not really addressing anything. JJ Reddick said, just attacking JJ. Um, so you had those two prominent kind of, uh, rebuttals and, um, more so than just what JJ Reddick said with that, get out of here comment to Pat, uh, they've kind of gone back and forth now. Cause, um, a clip, uh, came out from, uh, Pat Bev's podcast where he was talking about the Clippers, uh, blown three, one lead to the Rockets in 2018, 2019. I do not remember which, uh, what, what it was, but he said something like, uh, uh, if I'm going to be honest, should have started Jamal Crawford, um, who was the uh, sixth man on those teams. And this was a, an episode with Richard Jefferson or whatever. I don't know. Don't know the context fully to that. Um, and then J.J. Reddick came back with uh, with some heat. He said, luckily, the cameras in the arena have better eyes than you. So, again, what he's saying is Patrick Beverly fires back at J.J. Reddick and says he got torched by James Harden when the Clippers lost a 3-1 lead to the Rockets. J.J. Reddick. Luckily, the cameras in the arena have better eyes than you. And it really feels like there's a good a good insert for, for him to just say, like, bud or bub there. Um, but he said, 289 half-court matchups, 21 from 56 shooting by Harden as, con- as a contesting defender, 37.5% field goal, 42.9% effective field goal percentage, 0.94 points per direct ISO allowed on 37 isolations. I guess that's getting torched, question mark, a bunch of times. Um, just came with the absolute receipts on that, which I love. I, I, I love the kind of, uh, the pettiness, the spiciness to that. Um, and again, think it's fair to know in this Patrick Beverly podcast clip, 
No one is actually dismantling the point J.J. Redick is saying. They are just deflecting the entire argument and bashing J.J., which I think is a telltale sign that you don't really have much of a rebuttal, much of an argument to give yourself. Um, so we're, there was that stuff. And then this this kind of spawned a whole second leg to this drama. Um, so there's this excerpt that comes out. Uh, I think, I don't, I don't know, NBA Central is the one who broke this, uh, at least to me. Um, but it's an excerpt from him on first take, presumably like the next day or something like that. Um, and this, this really kept the, kept the drama going. So he said, um, I can do a video and this is JJ Redick, if I didn't make that clear, I can do a video on my podcast where I break down the last nine games. The Pelicans have used Zion Williamson as the primary ball handler. 54,000 views on YouTube, but I want to call out a a coach yesterday. Oh, that gets tens of millions of engagements. That's the ecosystem we live in. So do fans actually want to be educated or not? Um, interesting point. Um, and so, as I said, this sort of spawned a whole side discussion, additional, um, dialogue to this drama where people are really bashing JJ Reddick and getting annoyed at the mentality of, like he goes on a show like First Take willingly, I guess knowing what the deal of the show really like, what it's about, and we all do, and then tries to bash on its, uh, you know, takes for clicks, hot takes format, um, when he should have known like what he was getting into. Basically, like he signed on for this, um, and I guess they find it a bit uh, annoying and j- disingenuous, um, and also will claim like. Well, nobody's looking to these TV shows for, like, informed basketball takes anyway, so, like, pretending to put on this, like, holier-than-thou uh, persona comes off pretentious, I guess, is is the vibe, uh, 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 the way people feel about J.J. Reddick sometimes, I guess, especially in this. Um, and, and Nick Wright had an interesting comment, uh, Nick Wright, a uh, prominent uh, media personality um, analyst, I don't know if that's a applicable term really for him, but uh, it might be, Um he has some alright takes sometimes, and um, he said, I totally, and this is sort of in response specifically to um, that last comment about, like, well, I'll only get 50,000 views when I, like, actually break down something, tens of millions when I bash a coach. Nick Wright said, I totally understand folks who aren't into televised sports discussions slash debate. It's not for everyone. I will never understand someone who is incredibly wealthy, not sure what that has to really do with it, opts into working into the space, and then simply uses the platform to complain about how useless slash dumb the space is. And I totally understand uh, what he's saying there um, from that perspective. However, a lot of those, there's a lot of concessions being made. And I think that's sort of the point. Like basketball media on television, at least, is in the gutter, bro. Like the most influential media figures that you see on TV in that space will talk about LeBron's legacy 15 times a day or put together a list of... um, of like who's who's under the most pressure to win a championship what feels like once a week um so the the coverage of the sport of basketball is so vapid and surface level on television and i i i get where jj is coming from and so to get mad at him and calling it out when we all kind of do that online anyway like anytime we see a, a clip go viral of a Stephen a or a skip bayless or a mad dog russo and we're like yeah these dudes don't know ball like hardy 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 like we're all chuckling about it and then we're gonna like get on jj reddick's ass for like being the one who's like has the ability to get into that room on those platforms 
and then kind of say the same thing we're all saying all the time anyways, which is the reason we don't take these platforms seriously to begin with. Like, we know what the source of the problem is and yet have no interest in, like, changing that reality and enhancing the overall, like, basketball literacy, if that's a fair way to put it, um, just across the board. And instead, we just want to get mad at the dude who's, like, actually on the show pointing it out and, like, trying to change that, trying to bring, you know, facts and logic to first take and whatnot. Um, I don't know. A very interesting sort of uh, drama. It's really funny to see the, the sort of split down the middle in the NBA fandom where you have people who are like, Patrick Beverly just completely owned J.J. Redick. And then a bunch of people are like, how, bro? Like, show me how. So uh, a funny dichotomy of, of NBA fandom, as always. Uh, and I thought that was a really interesting uh, kind of little drama spat. It's, I guess, in a sense, you could say ongoing still because there's been tweets and, and new stuff about this all the way up until like last night-ish kind of, I believe. So we might see more of it. I know Kendrick Perkins like tweeted because he hadn't been on the show, but he was like, you know, licking his chops at the uh, at the prospect of being able to get on the mic and join into the conversation. So he might come on in a day or two and, and just like reignite the whole thing um, as these guys are um, amazing at doing. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe update this if there's more to really say, but I just thought that was sort of a uh, fun slash interesting conversation. And I got to be honest, I'm kind of on JJ Reddick's side. Um, the next piece of news I want to talk about really quickly, uh, this pertains to the Portland Trailblazers, who we know lost their franchise marquee player in Damian Lillard uh, this past offseason as the Bucks scooped him up uh, right before the start of the season. And well, things haven't been going well for the Portland Trailblazers, um, as you know, they just haven't been, they've lost their franchise player and uh, they're not particularly good right now, uh, which is understandable. However, local TV viewership for Trailblazers games down an NBA worst 49%. So that is a dramatic fall off. But I want to go into this article for a second because it's not all the Blazers' fault, and it also kind of brings up, like, the media and broadcasting rights and things that I chirp about all the time anyway, so I figured it's a, not a bad opportunity. Um, so the Portland Trailblazers have seen the largest percentage decline in local TV viewership among NBA teams this season. Viewership of Blazers games, and this is the really important part of this, I think, air on Roots Sports Northwest is down 49%, according to the Sports Business Journal. Reasons for Portland's declines are spelled out, but uh, aren't spelled out. But there are at least three obvious factors. Um, obviously, the departure of Damian Lillard, uh, the Blazers' poor performance. They're sitting at 15 and 39. Um, Portland has the fifth worst record in the NBA, and the fact that, and this is the last part, the part I was trying to, you know, uh, hint at, the fact that the games air on Root Sports, which you know, if you even know what the hell that is, I've that this article was the first time I had ever heard of Root Sports. Um, but shout out to Root Sports, I suppose. Um, but they were pulled from Xfinity's standard package. Now, I'm not a cable guy, really, haven't been in a minute, but Xfinity obviously is a uh, cable provider and. Uh, typically if you have cable, you would have access to like network television, like a ESPN and an ABC and a TNT and also likely whatever your like local sports, um, thing would be like, uh, when living in New York, mine would be like MSG and I'd be able to see like, um, games that way. Um, and I guess for them, it was, uh, this root sports, uh, you know, Portland or whatever. Um, and that was taken out of the standard package and relegated to a more expensive ultimate package. Um, as all of these 
soulless corporations do. <clears throat> but it's essentially neutralized uh, so many people's ability to watch Portland games on like a broad uh, basis on cable. And we already know that the ability to watch like every NBA game is like impossible by one singular service anyways. And you can't have like league pass because that blackouts like that will have blackouts for whatever your local team is because that is usually scooped up by a goddamn root sports or some bullshit like that um so the only times you would really even be able to watch your team play is on a nationally televised game which would again then require you to have something for that so if you're a port if you're a local portland trailblazers fan right now your only chance to really watch a portland game is if it has a nationally televised game i might be saying uh, uh might be kind of reading the situation wrong but you can't watch it through League Pass because it gets blacked out. And if you're not going to buy the ultimate tier package, which is bullshit, screw them, don't do that. Um, that leaves you with like the like, I mean, how many how many games do they get nationally televised uh, a season? You know, one, two when they're facing a, a contender or something like that. Um, if it's like a battle of rookies, because like Scoot is like the most uh, marquee kind of player there right now. Um, anyways, this whole situation kind of sucks, and uh, I feel really bad for. Uh, Portland fans, um, you know, regardless of how bad the product is, you, you should be able to watch your own team. I think the local blackout thing is so messed up, is one of the worst aspects of how the NBA, like, hoard itself out to a million different things so that you could never watch it all in one place. That's already bad enough, but specifically the fact that they cuck local fans out of being able to watch their own teams unless they get like some extra thing is 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 really screwed up really gross um so yeah not a fan of that um and then the last piece of news i want to bring up it's not really news but like it kind of is i don't know it's like a little story to keep an eye on i suppose um is a uh, is a uh, kind of a follow up i i had a very long like 40 minute rant bash um breakdown of the warriors and the kind of pivotal mo pivotal moment that they're in and how they um were really looking like a cooked product um and i really got into uh clay and his i don't want to say like fall off because he's still a fine player but from what he was and what the team was designed to still like need him to be well clay thompson is officially coming off the bench, and it's working. So uh, this is a report from uh, February 15th, so that would be last uh, Thursday, literally a week ago. I should have been able to do the math on that, but I didn't even trust myself to. Um, but this is per Steve Kerr, the head coach. He said, Clay Thompson will come off of the bench for the foreseeable future. Um, and then that quote was sourced from Underdog Fantasy. Um, and if we take a look at the Warriors, they were 8-2 and two in their last 10 games before the All-Star break. Still the 10th seed and three games back, I believe, of the 9th. But they are looking a lot better. Um, and especially with this starting lineup of Steph, Brandon Pajimski, the I believe he's a rookie. Um, he's been, you know, great. I shouted him out, I believe. But I... I I don't know if I expected quite this, but he's been super solid. So Steph, Brandon Pajimski, Jonathan Kaminga, hey, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. So that starting lineup has been uh, working wonders for the Warriors. And um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's definitely something that we should pay attention to uh, in this kind of last portion of the regular season and see if they're able to turn around. Obviously, if they were running for, with this lineup from the beginning of the season um, and weren't dealing with injuries also, 
this team could be seen in a completely different context, but we'll see what they're able to do from the position they're in. And uh, yeah, without uh, any further ado, I guess let's just uh, let's let's get into the the real juicy chunk of this episode. All right, so we're talking about the Brooklyn Nets here. We're going across the river to our um, sometimes second favorite borough, Brooklyn, and uh, let's just set the stage here. Okay, so at least how I feel, the Nets are one of the most confusing teams in the league. Um, and I think especially with um, this this newest influx of information, but also from how they were perceived and what their situation seemed to be for like the past, um, you know, this past half season and last half, last season's half, last half of last season. Words. Oh my God. I'm short-circuiting. Um, so yeah, we know what their situation is. They're in the post big three era, com- you know, dealing with the hangover that is having Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden on your team. But I think the common conception and dare I say misconception around the Nets uh, is that they don't own any of their picks for several years going forward. So there's like no point in tanking because you wouldn't own the rights to any of those picks, and also. You don't have the assets, obviously, to, like, build and get back into a competitive spot. So, like, it's okay that you guys just sort of sit around and do nothing for, like, a few years and you can keep your guys because at least that'll sell some tickets. That kind of vibe. Um, And as I've mentioned before, when it comes to things like roster caps, salaries, pick stashes, that sort of stuff, I'm not super versed in all that uh, quite yet. But from what I could tell... They actually seem to have a decent stash. So I want to get into this here. Um, This is from a New York Post article from after last season's trade deadline when uh, they shipped off Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to their respective teams. Um, And this uh, these were the picks lost when they acquired James Harden in 2021. They uh, the Nets traded first round draft picks in 2024, 2026. Um, with the Rockets also having the rights to swap options in 2023, well, that's already passed, 2025, and 2027. That clearly is not leaving them in that great of a spot. However, picks acquired in the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trades, four unprotected first-round picks from the Phoenix Suns in 2023, that has already passed, 2025, 2027, and 2029, with an option to swap picks in 2028 with the Suns, uh, 2029 Mavericks first round pick, uh, this is obviously part of the Kyrie deal, uh, and second round picks in 2027 and 2029. And then the Nick, the Nets also flipped Jay Crowder, who they sent to the Bucks, um, but was part of the Suns deal with, uh, for Durant. Um, they got five second round picks for him. Um, and, uh, I don't know if there's, there's not much information on those, but there's a, there's a pretty hefty, uh, pick stash that the Nets actually have, um, I don't want to sound like too long-winded, but just to really quickly run through these um, outside of the 2023 ones, uh, 2025 Suns first-round pick, 2025 first-round pick, 2025 second-round pick, Nets second-round pick in 2026, 27 uh, 76ers first-round pick, 2027 Suns first-round pick, their own first-round pick um, that Houston does have the right to swap for in 2027, but they have second-round pick from Maverick in 2027. Um uh, they have a pick swap with first round pick swap with the Suns uh, in the 2028 second round pick in 2028 as well. Uh, Mavericks first round pick in 2029 and the Suns first round pick in 2029. The Nets have their own 
first round pick in 2029, a second round pick in 2029, and the Mavericks second round pick in 2029. I hope your brain is not bleeding from all of that. Um, but yeah, not not a uh, not an insignificant um, pile of assets here. And uh, going also through their transaction history, which is, you know, publicly available information, um, it doesn't appear that they have much outgoing in that time span. Um, And this is, if you want to be able to, like, check me on this, this is the NBA transactions from uh, Spotrack. Spotrack, I I don't know how to pronounce it, but it it is a pretty universally reliable source on, like, contracts, salaries, transactions, um, etc. So I think they're pretty good about it. Um, and yeah, it looks like it's not like they've, uh, torched, uh, really any of those in that time period. And also via, uh, Fanspo, if you want additional sources, uh, in their kind of, uh, list of the Nets incoming draft picks and outcoming draft picks seems to check out pretty well with the, uh, New York Post article. So yeah, if, 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 you know, hope, hopefully that, uh, that sort of buys me some credence into this. Um, but if you don't have really much reference point for like, okay, well, you just named a bunch of picks and whatnot, but, like, is that good? Like, what does that mean, like, relative or whatever? There's this um, Bleacher Report article that was written, I think, at the beginning of this season. Yeah, right before the beginning of the season in uh, late August. Um, and it was ranking um, ranking every team in the NBA based off of future draft um, assets and picks and whatnot, and they ranked the Brooklyn Nets at the fifth spot. So, one of the best in the entire league in terms of, like, going forward. The Brooklyn Nets have a complex set of books with expensive obligations owed to the Rockets for James Harden, two unprotected firsts, but Brooklyn pivoted well with the relationship uh, when the relationship soured uh, and replenished its draft capital in the Kevin Durant and Phoenix Suns uh, deals. So, yeah, they're still hurting a bit uh, in terms of things that they owe to Houston, but did very well in terms of recouping their stash following uh, last season's trade deadline. And um, yeah, I don't know. It might have looked bad before, but uh, I think it's fair to have a lot different and more pressing uh, demands and expectations of the Brooklyn Nets, uh, given all of this information. And um, I don't know, maybe it was just me. But it felt like vast swaths of the NBA, like, community, fandom, whatever you want to call it, um, don't realize or didn't realize that the Nets had sort of bounced back like this in this sort of manner. And um, they actually have plenty of assets to pivot out of the middling limbo section um, that they're in. They're currently, what, the 11th seed? Uh, Yeah. And they only made the playoffs last year because of the position they were really left in, so... They um they have the the materials to get out of there, but um the Nets didn't really give any indication as to what direction they were going to go. Um, and the biggest things they did in the following slash this past off season, like after uh, that trade deadline, um, was sign Dennis Smith Jr. and Lonnie Walker the fourth, which you know they're both fine uh, rotation players, but that's like. Uh, obviously when you're in a position like you have this much draft capital um and with how quickly things move in the NBA like okay well what's what what is what is Dennis Smith Jr and Lonnie Walker the fourth you know ostensibly doing to change our situation um and then as for what they've done this season this trade deadline they traded Spencer Dinwiddie to the Toronto Raptors for Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young Spencer Dinwiddie was 
um, was proceeded to be waived and eventually signed with the Lakers. If I did not bring that up uh, when I was firing through a bunch of trade deadline stuff uh, in that episode like two or three ago, um, he was waived and eventually signed by the Lakers. Um, and the Nets waived Thaddeus Young themselves, who I believe made his way to the Suns. So it was basically they got Dennis Schroeder um, <laughs> from that, from all of that. Uh, and then the Nets traded Royce O'Neal to the Suns for three second-round picks and Keita Bates-Diop and Jordan Goodwin, um, both who can be, you know, decent, um, but again, ultimately are like fringe rotation guys at best. So whoa, what are we doing here? And they kept Keita Bates-Diop uh, for now uh, and waived Jordan Goodwin, who's ended up on the Grizzlies, I believe. Um, so, in short, not much. You know, they offloaded a couple of veteran players on expiring contracts for Dennis Schroeder, <laughs> who can be pretty good sometimes. I feel like I actually like Dennis Schroeder more than the average NBA fan. I think he... I don't know. I just, I'm a really big fan of, like, clutch players. And, like, something about Dennis Schroeder always keeps his cool in like I don't know he just he's always hitting his his uh his free throws when there's like 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter or something like that it's very uh very little kind of arbitrary sounding thing but you know I like the little things um and he can be anything from like a six man to a starting guard depending on the situation um but again definitely not like an upper tier starting point guard or anything like that so Dennis Schroeder and uh, a few second round picks which are certainly helpful but nothing crazy that they really moved um this deadline. Sorry, I'm gonna take a take a sip of some green tea real quick. Um, something I want to know, I think, is important to say that you might be thinking like, okay, well, they got some of relatively decent uh, haul for. Um, for those guys that they moved at the trade deadline, like, yeah, they're they're not big names, so. What you can't expect to get a, a crazy amount, you know, you're not going to trade an upper echelon tier player for two like role guys, right? That's obvious, sure. But as I said, I think it's important to note that there were reports last summer that Royce O'Neal had garnered some first round pick offers. This was reported by Brian Lewis of the New York Post. Um, as well as Spencer Dinwiddie was playing pretty damn well in that final stretch of last season when he got traded from the Mavs to the Nets. He was putting up 16.5 points, 9.1 assists, 4 rebounds, and a little over a steal a game on not great shooting splits, but still, I mean, he was averaging basically 17 and 10, um, scoring double-digit assists in like almost every game for like the last 25, 30, whatever it was. Um, but unfortunately... This season, Spencer Dinwiddie's been pretty bad, pretty, pretty bad, like still inefficient, but not nearly as good defensively and was far from having the same type of production that like pops out on the, on the, you know, box score, like a 17 uh, points and 10 assists. He's like uh 12 and a half and like six so far this season. Um, but yeah, so kind of uh, lost a bit on that. I guess the, the point to what I'm saying here is that Brooklyn didn't trade either of them when their value was clearly higher. Um, they ended up getting three second round picks for Royce O'Neal, which is not bad. Let me you know stress that. Um, but there was apparently an opportunity for them to get a first. And I'm taking a first round pick over three second round picks, probably. Second round picks have a it's just, I mean, it's it's a gamble that even a lottery pick guy is going to truly end up being 
like a really high level rotation player even so that compounds becomes exponentially more unlikely with like second round picks so it's kind of hard to put like a ton of uh of weight into them and also like we're talking about like um not that these are like specifically for this year but like in general like this uh this upcoming draft is seen as a fairly weak one um and that's getting through like the top 10 15 names so like uh what are we talking about with like the 45th pick in what's already considered a weak class something like that so yeah there was opportunity to get a first um and then they traded Dinwiddie as you know for a rotation piece and then a dude that they immediately waived when I don't know if you if you traded him last summer coming off of a 30 25 game stretch whatever it was where he was averaging 17 and 10 you might have been able to get uh, a bit more um ultimately I don't think it's like that crazy. I don't think it's the end of the world. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie nor Royce O'Neal are at their best going to be like crazy trade assets. I know there was a season Spencer Dinwiddie was averaging like 20. So like relax, but like you get my point, I believe. Um, So you didn't maximize what you like probably could have gotten, but I don't think it's like that big of a deal. Um, And, you know, this still the wounds were fresh from the divorce from uh, Katie and Kyrie. So uh, we can we can give a bit of a pass to Brooklyn on that front, Um, whatever. But however, that being said, whichever, you know, sequitur you want to use, what stands out about Brooklyn's trade deadline from this year is not the moves that they made, but the moves that they didn't. So, this is where we start talking about the Brooklyn Nets being kind of crab apples in this situation. Because um, they basically refused to trade Dorian Finney-Smith for almost anything. They uh, rejected an offer for two first-round picks and possibly more. Um, uh, possibly more because Dorian Finney-Smith was reportedly being coveted by around six teams. So, hey, you know, I'm going to call all six of them and go... I've got an offer for two firsts already. Uh, let's let's hear final offer, guys. Let's see what you got. Um, and said no to all of it. Um, and now, listen, I like Dorian Finney-Smith. I like Dorian Finney-Smith more than Royce O'Neal and more than especially this most recent version of uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I like that he's been a upper echelon 3 and D guy for what it seems like most of his career routinely around 40% from three. Um, and he doesn't try to put the ball on the floor like Dinwiddie does. Um, you know, he, he's a much lower, uh, usage, uh, guy. Um, that being said for all my love and appreciation of Dorian Finney Smith, if someone calls me up and offers me two first round picks for Dorian Finney Smith and I, as like the GM owner, whatever, don't really have use for like a high-end 3 and D guy that could like legitimately have impact on a competitive playoff team. So I don't, and I'm not that I'm taking that deal nine and a half times out of 10. Like, sorry, pack your bags, Dorian Finney-Smith. That's some good value for a player I can't even really use properly. So, um, I think the big fear here is that the same scenario is going to happen again with the Royce O'Neal and Spencer Dinwiddie, where there was um, there's evidence of clearly uh, a heightened level of interest for them and value on them uh, than what you ended up getting for them because you were too late to really pull the trigger on those trades. Um, we could see this again. You know, I just are we going to see this off season them trade Dorian Finney Smith for 
one first round pick or like a rotation guy and two or three second round picks. And then it's like, well, there you go. Again, missed a prime opportunity to pick up multiple first round picks for Dorian Fitty Smith. Um, the fear that being that the, they will miss that train uh, yet again. And it's really shooting yourself in the foot when you're a team like the Nets who, um, who are not good. Um, but, but this is where, this is where things get really interesting. Okay. So I was talking about all that and I'm going to close some of these down. So, uh, so I, I can hone in on this ESPN article here. So, um, what really made me decide to do this, um, this segment, this episode really, um, on the nets comes from this ESPN article. So this was written by our good friend, friend of the show, Adrian Wojnarowski, um, three days ago, Monday, I believe Monday morning. Um, and it's just a, just an article about the nets, um, firing, uh, Jock Vons and promoting interim head coach assistant, uh, Kevin, Kevin Ollie, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of talking about, um, Ollie's resume and Vons, uh, 71 and 68, uh, regular season record. Um, and oh, and eight in the playoffs, they got swept back to back years. Holy shit. Yeah, they did. Wow. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that is not great. You guys remember that Boston Brooklyn first round series in 2022, that game winner by Jason Tatum in game one, where I think it's like Kevin Durant's caught ball watching. And I don't know if it's Marcus Smart inbounds the pass right behind him. Jason Tatum cuts through, grabs the ball, and immediately spins so he can't get like picked or fouled before or whatever. Spins into a layup, like right as the buzzer goes off. I mean, very similar to how like Derek White, um, off an inbound play actually as well, uh, scored right as the buzzer went off to force game seven last uh, playoffs against the Heat and how crazy that was with similarly a bit of ball watching happening from the opposing defenders but yeah crazy moment the celtics in 2022 had particularly in the playoffs had so much goddamn aura the fact that they lost the 2022 finals i will never forgive them for because they shouldn't have that was their series to win it was their series to lose and that's what they did anyways not not the point so we have this. Uh, we have this lovely article. Yada yada yada. It's really these last two sentences that are just kind of snuck in there, right at the end. Uh, just kind of casually dropped, like nothing. And uh, and so that and, and what that is, I'm just going to read the last like four sentences. Vaughn is 129 and 226 as an NBA coach, having gone 58 and 158 in his first opportunity with Orlando. The Nets are rebuilding the roster around forward Mikhail Bridges. They hold significant salary cap space and draft capital to build around him this summer and beyond. Oh, I think I'm going to be sick. So, um, Mikhail Bridges is, is the guy? Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're really doing here? Um... The Nets have already been incredibly unserious about hearing out trade talks for him, um, and they've routinely either said that they're not interested or want like a ridiculous amount in the vein of like three plus first round picks plus assets or whatever. And now he's the franchise cornerstone, I guess. 
what is this decision? I really do not get it. I think Mikhail Bridges is a fantastic player. He is an elite perimeter defender. Not as good as he was back when he was with Phoenix, but still quite a quite a good defender. Um, and you know he's he's relied upon. The, the reason I would say he's not as good of a defender is he's relied upon way more than he should be with the Nets as an offensive creator, but he still managed to be a pretty solid 20 plus point per game score. However, again, when he was with the Phoenix, he was like legitimately a defensive player of the year finalist. Um, and now he as a 20 plus point per game score with the Nets, he's been more like an all defensive second team kind of defender at best. Um, but I think he could, in the right scenario, still apply himself like that and, and give that crazy all-defensive first-team kind of um, perimeter defense. Uh, and, again, even if you're second-team, like, that's still good. But for what he demonstrated beforehand, um, it's clear he's kind of not able to do both at an elite level. Um, when he's forced to score more, that defense is going to drop off. Not that that's, like, a uni- not a universal uh, consistent, even with the greats of the game. Like, I mean, even... Uh, or just any player. I don't even need to uh, really name any. I was going to say, like, LeBron now, but, like, LeBron's 400 years old. But, you know, when the Lakers really, really need him to score, you're going to see a bunch of highlights where he's just, like, not getting back on defense or looks a bit more like a traffic cone. But if imagine if we just imagined the Lakers had, like, a million more scores, I bet in the limited minutes we saw LeBron out there who would be a way better lockdown defender. But the point being, um, this stuff happens to everybody. However... He's he's not been like an elite guy on either the either ends of the ball, um, while being sort of the main guy on the Nets. Um, so you have a guy in Mikhail Bridges who's probably more of a third option on a championship team, and that's not just like me projecting like what he could be. That's what he was with the Suns when they were a very competitive team uh, and went to the finals. Um, and I think almost beyond that which is kind of a crazy thing to say because if a player is clearly like a third option, it's kind of nuts to say you're going to build around him in general. That's already like, hey, buddy, what are we doing? However, beyond just that, there's not room to really grow here. Sorry, I'm not trying to cut Mikhail Bridges' wings here, but he is 27 turning 28 this summer. That's not someone you decide to build around. That's not someone who has so much more to add to their game. He is a high-level role player, okay? I just... This decision absolutely boggles my mind, has me flummoxed beyond belief. Um, And so... You know, uh, I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a member of the uh, Brooklyn Nets organization, uh, clearly, in case you didn't know. I'm not. Sorry to uh, surprise you. Um, and so, while I can only give my thoughts and uh, sort of shake my head at the whole thing from the sidelines like a disappointed parent watching their kids play youth soccer or something, uh, I don't have any control over this. So, it's really all I can do, shake my head from the sidelines. Um, <coughs> however, to attempt to engage in this com- this ludicrous, uh, preposterous hypothetical, uh, not even a hypothetical, uh, what they want to do. For the sake of uh, continuing to be able to uh, have this conversation, uh, I'm just going to go along with it, say, okay, 
I'm on your I'm on I'm on the same page as you right now, Brooklyn. Let's let's look at uh, your team. So I'm just gonna assume everyone on that roster besides Mikhail is like on the chopping blocks and they're willing to hear a call about. And um, let's go through this roster and uh, and and I'm just gonna give some thoughts on like if the, if this is a, a player worth keeping, if they should go, if they're like if I think they're even like worthwhile on the trade market, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I think, and I just want to pull something up actually really quickly. I just want to, just want to, just want to do this really quickly. Uh, this is a professional basketball show's production. Okay. Um. So, <coughs> first one I'll start off with is uh, Cam Johnson, um, who uh, came with him uh, from came with Mikael Bridges from the Suns in the KD trade. Um, and I was a big fan of him on the Suns, actually. I thought he was super underrated. However, he's kind of, I don't want to say, like, fallen off or disappeared, but it definitely feels like he's, um, there. there's a lot of uh, weight taken out of the, the camp, the Cam John- Johnson um, punch. But I think that can happen a lot with, um, especially, like, a high-level role player, like I think he can be, um, where if you're a role player, you're going to shine when you're in a winning environment because you're not going to put up, you know, 30 on your own regardless or something like that. So when the team is winning, your contributions are going to be noted in that. But if your team is losing, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not a winning player, but there's just like not winning plays happening. And hey, guys, I'm, I'm only a role player anyway. So like I only have like a limited control over the game. Um, it's going to be even harder to kind of see my impact. That's why I always stress that I want desperately for like really good role players to not be on bad teams because that's like the easiest way to kind of immediately like lose any context on them because, you know, what's a what's a Bojan Bogdanovic doing on the Detroit Pistons, right? Put him on the Knicks. Let's see in the playoffs. Um, things are not looking great there. Actually, we have a lot of injuries, but uh, we'll talk about it later. Um, so yeah, Cam Cameron Johnson. Uh, whoa, just used his full government there. Sorry, Cam. Um, he's got great size, like six eight, built, um, solid three and D guy. Um, a really great shooter specifically. Um, but has not grown as a playmaker in his time in the league. Uh, is not a ball handler or prolific scorer like that. Um, outside of a, you know in a catch and shoot three and D kind of role. Um, I think the high. I think he scored. I think he's averaged like 16 at a point. I could be just completely talking out of my ass, but whatever. Um, he's never been a scorer. That's the point. Um, so I think what you see from Cam Tom, uh, Cam Johnson is what you get, kind of thing. You know, you you look at because he's had pretty consistent um, statistical output on the box score. Not to be like a box score watcher, but you see that, and you see that it's been the same thing basically over his career with like a slight jump when he first got to Brooklyn, just like Mikhail, who was averaging 27. He was averaging 27 in the last stretch of last year. I won't, I won't forget that. I'm not going to pretend that, that he didn't do that. And I was really looking forward to him maybe being like a 24, 25 point per game guy this season, but he's not, he had a hot, he had a hot stretch when he got to Brooklyn last season. And I don't know if like, I don't know if the front office saw those 25 games, saw him averaging 27 and still at least playing defense at a high level, not the same way, but still being a good defender. And went, that's our franchise cornerstone there. And like, uh, are just not in, don't really care or concern themselves with like what he's done this season. Um, I.e. not even be that, but regardless, 
Um, for Cam Johnson, his stats outside of that like quick um, stretch uh, have been the same basically over his whole, whole career. So what you see is what you get. You know, okay, he's going to give me you know twelve points on uh, on forty uh, percent shooting. So he's going to hit you know three or four threes in a game, and he's going to defend at a pretty high level. Um, I think you can get a decent amount for him. <clears throat> I think this is definitely a piece that lots of uh, of Good teams that are uh, in need of a lockdown wing that can um, hit hit a, a spot up three. Um, this is a really valuable piece of them. I don't know how it works with the contracts. I don't know what Cam uh, Johnson's salary is, so I can't like tell you where I think he would be really good on. But um, yeah, he's definitely someone who I think has a ton of value. But that value will decrease if he's just left on the nets to consistently put up. 12 13 points on 45% from the field 41% from 3 like at, at a point that like charm's going to go away and he's just going to look like a player who's put up mediocre numbers on a mediocre team for like 4 years in a row and people aren't going to really want that as much as this like exciting um high level you know uh role player uh next just because i keep mix- missing oh my god just because I keep mixing up Cam Johnson and Cam Thomas, I need to talk about Cam Thomas so I can just stop talking about either of them and uh, and keep getting my brain like mixed up. Um, Cam Johnson is a fun player, and he's also really young, so I definitely don't want to sound like uh, a hater or I'm trying to um, tell him what he can't be, uh, especially as a Knicks fan with my guy being Jalen Brunson. Uh, my whole mantra kind of has to be, that you got to let the guy prove whether he can or not himself and not fit him into a box. However, I'm going to put him into a box for a second. Um, Cam Thomas is a very fun offensive player who can get buckets with the best of them for sure. He, he's a you know crazy tough shot maker, um, but he has very little upside uh, outside of that, really. You know, he's not really a playmaker. Uh, he's not particularly efficient. Um, and... Part of that could be just being on a bad team and being like a, a, a number one, number two kind of offensive option. But uh, even in a smaller role, he kind of uh, was never like, oh, wow, he's very efficient in a, in a smaller capacity. Um, he's kind of always, you know, like a 43, 44% from the field kind of guy. Um, and he's not a good defender. I mean, he doesn't have the size, obviously. He's like, you know, 6'2 or whatever it is, 6'3. Uh, um, and he's not like ridiculously athletic where it kind of like makes up for that because like there's there's two different kinds of small guards there's a Steph Curry and Trey Young small guard where they're also not athletic and if you're watching this on audio I am using the biggest air quotes possible because that's such a funny thing to say about an NBA athlete and particularly the people they usually say that about are some of the most fit in the league but um they're not athletic in the sense that they're not like the fastest player on the court and they don't have like insane verticality that allows them to play above the rim. And that's one type of small guard versus a small quote unquote guard like a De'Aaron Fox or a Donovan Mitchell, who, yes, is in the like six one to six three range, but is incredibly quick, like a De'Aaron Fox and even a Donovan Mitchell. Um and they can both yam it on a center. So, you know, try that shit boy kind of thing. Um, and Cam Thomas fits into the, uh, first 
degree of that where they don't really have that like above the rim verticality athleticism but he's also not a playmaker to the degree you know i can live with trey young being a defensive liability because the dude is an otherworldly playmaker and gets me 11 assists a game while also scoring 30 um cam thomas isn't that he's a fun scorer with uh, not really much else to offer so I could certainly see him possibly on a competitive team uh, if they were to need a backup point guard or maybe even he could start if there was a much better ball handling guard next to him. But then there's still sort of the question that like, well, he's not really that like efficient. So like, you know, we're creating a lot of opportunities for him to shoot. 43% on really high volume instead of like mid volume like is that really good for a competitive team I don't know um maybe it could just be uh more of like a I'm gonna get you buckets off the bench kind of guy I think that could be cool um and I know that's sort of like I don't know that's sort of his thing more so over being like a uh lower usage catch and shoot guy despite the fact that he is uh significantly better shooting uh on catch and shoots rather than anything off the dribble however you know it's his bread and butter, so uh, I'll leave him to it. Um, but yeah, Cam Thomas more maybe than like any guy might have more value if he was traded sooner than later. Because um, if he's putting up these numbers um, for two plus years, uh, just empty stats on a Nets team that isn't really uh, isn't really moving the needle at any point. Um, yeah, that's suddenly like that's that's not a really high value prospect. Some guy that's just not a defender, averaging twenty on an eleven seed. Uh, versus like, whoa, Cam Thomas started out this season averaging thirty. We should trade him right now before he goes back down. Um, and and just kind of prolongs like a, a significantly more like mediocre stretch of play. Uh. Not that it's like, I don't know, it sounds weird to call it mediocre because like he's not a 30-point per game scorer. He had a really hot, great start to the season uh, offensively and has leveled out to like a 21-point per game guy, which is still a pretty great stretch for your first season in a bigger role after averaging like 10 in the first like two seasons of your career. And as I said the first uh, at the beginning of my Cam Thomas tirade, um, he's young. He's like 23, so uh, there's certainly possibilities for him to grow in that aspect, but... I don't know. You don't often see huge playmaking leaps. Uh, There's just like, I think there's just an aspect of it that is like fundamental to the way you see and read the game. And if you've gotten to the point where you've played the game for 15 years and you are in the NBA as a 23, 24 year old entering your like physical prime, um, I don't think Cam Thomas is going to turn around from a guy that averages 20 and two assists to a guy that. Uh, maybe his scoring doesn't change or maybe he gets a little bit better in that. I think he could definitely become an even better scorer, become like a 25 point per game score maybe. Um, but I, he's never going to be like a, a premier playmaking guard. He's never going to be um, just kind of based off of where his level is right now. That might be the only box I feel comfortable saying I can't like, I'm sorry. You're just, you're not going to be a Steph Trey young uh, uh, kind of playmaking guard. Um, so I think there would be more value if you kind of traded him while he looked fun and had like a high upside as like a spark off the bench. Um, and he definitely strikes me as one of the players that will not last on the team. Uh, and I think that's good. Uh, moving on, I'm going to talk about, actually, I'm going to cut this real quickly.
I love being meta and, uh, and, and saying it right before I do it. Um, I'm going to talk about Nick Claxton here for a second, who I, I really like Nick Claxton. I think he has a ton of value. He's a fantastic rim protector, um, super, super athletic, um, and a play finisher type of, type of big. Um, I think it's fair to assume that the Brooklyn Nets could get a really good value for him. Um, so I would see him being one of the guys that they're like pushing to like really move um, or or rather maybe just like are, are pushing as like this is like one of our crown jewels um, as a piece because I don't really know. It's hard to be a like a contender, even competitive team without a competent good center to begin with you know you're not going to be uh, a like first second seed in your conference routinely going to like the second third round of the playoff and yet you have like a complete vacancy in your center it's just too important uh, as a defensive position as a defensive role particularly in the playoffs. so it's kind of hard for like um, a center I feel like to just sort of hop on to a championship contender or whatnot. And I don't know if Nick Claxton is like a championship uh, contender level, like rim protector, but he is super fun. And I don't know, one of those guys that like, I feel like when I, whenever I watch him, it's always like something good, which is very anecdotal. And I don't watch the nets that often. So uh, that certainly doesn't say a whole lot, but, um, and certainly correct me if you're a Nets fan, when you're like, no, bro. You're getting you're getting caught up in the highlights. Trust me, he he looks fun, but he ain't it. If that's the reality of it, maybe I've completely misread the uh, the situation, and I'm uh, I'm caught by just the glitz and glamour of Nick Claxton's game. But he seems uh, pretty great. Um, his athleticism allows him to come out onto the perimeter a bit. Uh, he's got great length. Uh, definitely, I'm not going to do one of those, like, he can guard one through five, because that is such a uh, burnt-out thing. And I feel like if you're going to be a guy who can actually guard one through five, you have to be able to, at any given point, guard that position for an entire game. You can't just pick up a guard in one possession and a couple... Um, and a couple possessions later, get a block in a center. That's not guarding one through five. You have to be able to guard them through actual stretches. And uh, yes, I've never seen Nick Claxton as a perimeter defender for an entire game, so I'm not going to say that. But I think it would be fair to say that he could guard one through three, four, one through four, one through four, or like, or oh no, maybe rather like three through five, two through five. I've never heard someone put it that way. It's always one through four or five. But, like, if you can't guard, like, a point guard, which, like, I would not put Nick Claxton, like, on on a really good guard on the perimeter. So, yeah, he's, like, a 2-5, to five, a 3-5. to five. Very versatile defender is the point I'm getting at. Um, and I think you get a lot of value for him if you're Brooklyn. Uh, next, next asset that could potentially be on the chopping block but probably won't is Ben Simmons, who... Oh, has not even played a game uh, since, let's see, I probably should have had this pulled up, but honestly, I wasn't expecting to actually look at this. Um, he's played 12 games this season, which, i got to be honest, uh, I, I that even shocks me. I didn't even know he had played <laughs> this season. Um, he played 42 games last season. That was after missing a season uh, or, or sitting out a season. Um, I... <sighs> I'm still kind of holding out hope on Ben Simmons. I don't know if that's like a crazy thing to say. He's also 27, turning 28 this year. Um, but this was such an interesting player early on in his career. Um, this 
pretty strong, very athletic, ball-handling big who is a really surprisingly good playmaker um, and uh, and is a hell of like a a, a, a cutter and and can score can score he he was he, he averaged 17 in his second season 16 and a half in his third season and that was while averaging seven and a half eight assists a game um he's he's a seven and a half assist guy over his career 610 to you know 30 whatever he is he's he's a pretty built dude um and i i can't even really uh say what the impacts of not just what he went through in Philly, uh, in like a psyche kind of situation. I definitely couldn't speak on that. Um, but also the dude had back surgery and that's, I mean, that's like, that's not, that's not wrist surgery. That's not shoulder surgery. That's not even like a torn meniscus or something. That's like pretty, you know, freaking serious like that. Like that's a back injury. You know how timid I would be to just run at a fast pace if I had had back surgery. Um, so I do think people have largely underestimated the toll um, that that stuff has taken on him and how long a recovery process like that can be. Um, and so I think it is fair to even up until this point um, stress or exercise patients for Ben Simmons. Um, and I think they'll keep him. I definitely think they'll keep him at least throughout uh, the next season because he's on an expiring contract. I think next season is his last guaranteed and then he's an unrestricted free agent. But not only is his contract expiring, so even if you were a team that really liked Ben Simmons and you were totally like willing to take him as is because you believe in his like recovery process... Um, you probably wouldn't want to sign him right now because he's on an expiring forty plus million dollar a year contract. Uh, so you would have to pay for Ben Simmons forty million dollars and then not even have a guarantee of him re-signing with you going forward. Um, so it might just be better to uh to pick him up uh and for significantly less to uh next off season maybe. Um, because I don't know, I, I mean, unless like media rights deals, uh, go through the roof and salary cap goes through the roof and players over the next, like immediate, like five or six years start earning way more. I don't know if Ben Simmons is ever getting a contract like he got again. I think it was five years, 177 million, uh, which led out to like 40 something as an average, um, even as like the market continues to get uh, bigger and it feels like those price tags are uh, inflated and maybe don't have as much value, like, okay, well, you know, that's a lot of money, but Jalen Brown is getting $300 million, so, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, even still, $40 million is a steep price tag for Ben Simmons, um, but I think there's possibility that he could i i don't think he's ever going to be like a score really like that he might be able to get back to being like that 17 point per game kind of guy dropping occasionally that 25 30 burger uh when he's really hot but he could definitely get back to being like a high level playmaker because as i said i think that's just like a fundamental part of reading and also a defensive player of the year candidate that is something that he was in his like second or third season he was a finalist i believe so i hadn't even mentioned that um incredible defender um so yeah i'm not giving up hope on him but uh but i think and i think the nets will uh keep him 
hope that maybe next season he uh, really kind of has like a return to form and are maybe able to sell high on him at that point. Um, and so we'll see. I think Ben Simmons is going to be a really interesting player to keep an eye on uh, going forward. Um, and uh, the Nets, uh, they, of course, have Dennis Schroeder from this offseason, who I think could remain a decent uh, trade asset, uh, not like one with tons of value in the same uh, air as um, even like a Cam Thomas, honestly. But, you know, and also because he's like 30, 31 next season, but he's still a pretty good you know, point guard sometimes. And, um, and I think the best case scenario is that like he plays really well over this final stretch of the season. And then they're also able to sell high on him. Uh, cause Dennis Schroeder is not, you know, Dennis Schroeder is not beneath, uh, putting up really good numbers for like a random stretch. Um, and then getting offered more money than he's like ultimately worth wink, wink to the Lakers, $83 million deal that he turned down. But, um, so yeah, I think the, the, uh, nets are hoping that maybe they can just like give him the ball a bit and, uh, get juice those numbers a bit and then sell high on him. Um, and then beyond that guys, is it even really worth mentioning Dayron Sharp, Lonnie Walker, the fourth Kata Bates, Diop, Jalen Wilson, Trendon Watford, that last dude's not even a real person. That's a 2K-generated player. Um, I'm just kidding, Trent Watford. You are real. And uh, on one attempt per game for the last, like, season and a half, you can shoot the three So as, like, an undersized big. So, uh, you know, keep working on that, Trent. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, my point being that, like, none of those guys are, like, uh, really crazy. Um, an assortment of, like, picks, I imagine, for guys like that or for – role players of the same caliber with but with different names ultimately those aren't going to be the difference makers um in terms of like whether the nets are able to like successfully pivot this into a competitive team um i think there's questions about that because of who they're building around but like if we were to just uh, uh, remove that even uh these are not the names that they ha- uh that the nets have that are like big time trade assets uh so yeah i don't know um so that's certainly a lot, you know, if we take a step back, that's certainly a hell of a lot that they could trade and for a cum- cumul- cumulative uh, value that is like worth probably enough to uh, pay to rebuild a full roster. Um, it's really just, again, that their most valuable trade asset is Mikhail Bridges. And that's a guy who definitely isn't a championship 1A, 1B kind of dude. Um, and that's, but, but that's who they're going to, you know, build around. And so, and, you know, perhaps if the Nets were to, uh, acquire all of this and were able to get like a really good point guard and then like maybe another, like a uh, wing that's able to create and solid shooters, just a really ridiculously well-rounded and deep team, um, that maybe even without a top 10 player, they could just, uh, they could be competitive, um, just through lots of, uh, you know, well-rounded on and off ball creation and lots of shooting. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly, not like slowly becoming disillusioned, but I just, I don't, I don't love the like, oh, you can't win unless you have a top 10 player. You can't win unless you have a top 10 player. Well, maybe winning makes you a top 10 player. Like maybe one, maybe we are throwing like the baby out with a bath here and like jumping the gun and like maybe some of these players aren't what you say they are until they've been given an opportunity to prove it. Um, 
I just in general, I never like when players are assigned like a like oh they're this type of player um before they've really had an opportunity to ever even prove that wrong that's sort of my mentality with like the jalen brunson like he's too small he's too uh to be like a 1-8 guy like i understand the historical precedent behind that i just think it's a weird conversation to have when in any playoff opportunity jalen brunson has risen to the occasion and outplayed every i mean he's outplayed every point guard he's ever faced in the playoffs um he has only elevated his team he's only elevated himself he's never been in a situation where he's really rightfully had an expectation to go to the championship round or to win a championship so like why are we saying he can't do it necessarily again i get the historical precedent um but let's maybe like wait until he's like gone to a conference final and then choked or something like that uh and then we can go like and this is why we uh add him to this kind of conversation but until you've done it of course you're going to be uh you know it's going to look like you can't do it like you 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 can't build around a small guard until you can with Steph until you can with Isaiah Thomas until you know what I'm saying? So that's sort of my thing. I know that kind of spits in the face of like uh boxy and like a Mikhail Bridges and calling him like a third option or whatever, but he spent several years on a very competitive team that went to the finals at a point that was up 2-0 in the finals at a point. And I am not saying that like the Bucks making a 4-0 comeback on you know, the Suns in the 2021 finals is Mikhail Bridges' fault or something like that. But um he was playing that role on a team that had proven results of like going to the finals essentially is what I'm saying. So I feel a bit more comfortable in like calling him that. And also because he's turning 28. So like, what are you going to like suddenly grow into like a 30 point per game playmaker? Come on now. Um, so yeah, I guess there's possibility for them to like make a, a very well-rounded competitive team that doesn't have that like upper elite star, but um, is just like, Hey man, we're just like really good we're, we can all lock up we can all switch we can all score kind of thing um at least to like some degree and uh i could definitely see that uh having um some level of success in the playoffs ironically this hypothetical team that i'm saying uh or creating would be a great team for a nick claxton kind of big man to be on but unfortunately they would probably definitely have to trade him uh in order to get enough assets to even build a team that was like well-rounded enough well built around a Mikhail Bridges to compete in the playoffs so kind of a bit of a catch-22 there but regardless I'm not going to rule out the idea that they could build a fairly competitive team uh in this Eastern Conference that you know after like one or two teams consistently uh tends to be open you know it's like it's a year in and year out you're like okay there's the Celtics who have like a stupidly well-built squad whatever um and then, honestly, for even this season, like, right after that, Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, 76ers, um, the Heat are at the seventh seed, but, like, uh, shit, we'll see how this goes. Um, I, and I have more trust in them than, like, the Pacers of the Magic, for sure. Uh, for sure. Um, and even the 76ers, if they don't have Joel Embiid. So, like, immediately after the first seed, it's it's kind of open. It's pretty open. Uh, so, you know, I could see in a in a... In, in a, I guess it's all about how quickly they would also be able to do this. Like, are the Nets about to have a nuclear offseason in a couple of months? Are they going to trade? Are they going to do all of this within one offseason and try to be, you know, at the start of the 2024-2025 season 
a competitive team with Mikhail Bridges, or is this going to be like a slow process while they like I don't know like groom Mikhail Bridges into being like a the leader of the team or something like that? I don't know. Um, because obviously like if they could do it, like at this point, it's, it's, this is definitely a type of team. Again, this is in the hypothetical that they're able to build themselves up really well. Uh, that this is definitely a team that like they could get far if they were able to, uh, take advantage of some like mishaps of, uh, their other teams or maybe a down year where there's some injuries or whatnot, but I don't know. It's not a team I would ever pick to, uh, to get out of the East for sure. Um, but you know, we'll see even if they make this team happen, even if they're able to do all this. How competitive will they end up actually being? Will the East have healed up and recouped and be even better than it like actively is in this very moment to the point where like their successful retool slash rebuild uh, into a competitive team uh, doesn't really matter because all the other teams around them also got better and they weren't good enough to begin with kind of thing. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm doing a lot of yapping here at the end, but those are basically my thoughts on the uh, Brooklyn Nets major gambit that they're taking with uh, Mikhail Bridges. And it's going to be a really interesting thing to see develop uh, and unfold over the next season, two, uh, three uh, dear God, by the time you're in that third season, Mikhail Bridges will be 31. So I'm not sure you really want to be doing that, but, uh, yeah, here we are, here we are. And, uh, you know, with, with the Bulls thing first and like this, I just like, wow, who, how do you get to be a front office manager of a NBA team? Because not in like a, Oh, I could be doing a better job, but like, I just don't see the, uh, the logic or the train of thought behind a lot of these decisions by some of these GMs and stuff. And I'm like, huh? Like, and a lot of the times they don't work. So I feel very vindicated in like calling them like weird decisions. Um, and yet, you know, they're the ones in, in charge. Uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> not that that's like a merit based thing anyways. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. Uh, I'm going to uh, try not to yap and, and ramble on too long because I think we are, we're already over an hour. So, uh, you know, yippee, we did it. Uh, so I'm going to get out of here. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this. I would love to uh, know any thoughts you have on the Brooklyn Nets, on the J.J. Reddick situation, on uh, on the Warriors because uh, I talked about that too. Um, yeah, let me know. I hope you uh, enjoyed. I'll be back hopefully at the, you know, early, like a Monday, Tuesday of next week. We'll, we'll keep trying to do these, uh, these two weeks going and, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, always appreciate the support. This is Hoops Hour signing off of Hoops Hour. Have a good day.